from uh, 6 to 11, actually, that is a little section, uh, is the beginning of the Lord's response to the doubt, <clears throat> the question of Uddhava, which has been going over the first four, which he has been expressing in the first five verses, because at the end of the last chapter, Krishna says, after giving a whole chapter involving good and bad things, he says, ultimately, <clears throat> the distinction of seeing good and bad is itself bad. <laughs> and so the good thing is to see no distinction at all. So then Uddhava uh, raises his doubt. How can you disown your own Vedas? You've been telling us, uh, you know, the whole Vedas, everything depends upon this. And uh, now it seems like you're rejecting your, your own statements. So this is his answer. Uh, uh, and uh, it, all these texts up to, up to 11 is about what, he, what uh, the three paths. Uh, he calls them that. Uh, the, uh, uh, yogas Kriya. The word path here is the translation of yoga three ways or three disciplines or three paths like that. Um, so here he says in text number six, you know, which you go, well, let me say our mantra, Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya, Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya, Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. So six, now the Lord replying, so it says, Sri Bhagavan Vacha, Yogas Trayo Maya Prokta, Rinnam Sreyo Vivitsaya, Gyanam Karma Chabakkischa, No Payon Yosti Kutrachit. And so this is translated, uh, uh, the Supreme Personality of Godhead uh, said, um, my dear Uddhava, uh, because I desire that human beings may achieve perfection, I have presented three paths of advancement, the path of knowledge, the path of work, and the path of devotion. Besides these three, there is absolutely no other means of elevation. Uh, so this is how uh, 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 it's translated here. Uh, uh, so he says, yoga trayaha, these three yogas, which is translated as processes. Uh, you'd be interested, I mean, just to give you an eye, since we run across the word yoga a lot, uh, just give you an idea of the range of meanings <laughs> that attach to this word. So, uh, well, the basic meaning is a yoke uh, or a team that you yoke together, two horses. Or, so it also means even a vehicle or a conveyance. It also means employment, use, performance, the equipping, equipping of, a, of an army. Uh, yoga. Fixing an arrow to a bowstring is called yoga. Uh, 
So this comes to also mean a means or expedient, a device. And then, of course, the doc uh, goes on to say a supernatural mean. <laughs> uh, it can also be a trick or fraud, uh, 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 undertaking, business, work, uh, acquisition, gain, prof profit, yoga, shame, of aham, yaham, you know, and it's used that way. Uh, any junction. Uh, uh, so all the fitting together, but here is exertion, endeavor, zeal, diligence, industry, care, attention. So anyway, path works in uh, on this application or concentration of the thoughts. Uh, so anyway, this is just just give you an idea on this word ends up all over the place. Um, uh, so, so here he says, I desire, because I desire, well, okay, yoga traya maha prokta, I have uh, described these three, three yogas, three processes, three paths have been described by me for human beings. Now, Shreya Viditsaya, because uh, 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 so that they may achieve perfection. Uh, Chancellor here that I'm desiring, desiring perfection. It refers to Krishna desiring their perfection, these three paths of advancement. And then uh, Jnanam, Karma, Bhaktischa. So there is Jnana, Karma, and Bhakti. These are the three paths. And, and then he says, uh, other than these, uh, uh, there's none whatsoever. Na upaya, no other means, anyat, other than these, asti, exists, kutrachit, whatsoever. That's it. Very interesting, these three different uh, paths. And it's very, very... So this is where it comes, based on Shastra, and this is where it comes from. Uh, and uh, uh, what, uh, what uh, you also see is, in, uh, even in other religions... Christianity and, and, and Islam, Buddhism, you also find basically uh, the same three. Uh, uh, there, there is uh, the karma kanda. Uh, if you read the injunctions for a brahmana to follow the karma kanda section of the Vedas, uh, there's rules and regulations that govern everything that you do. There's nothing you do that doesn't have a way to do it the right way or the wrong way. And rewards and punishments for doing it right and punishment for doing it wrong. Uh, if you look up at like uh, Orthodox Judaism, very much the same kind of a thing. Uh, where you do right, you go to heaven, you do wrong, you go to hell. Right? That kind of religion. 
heaven, when they talk about heaven, uh, they think even even there, there's in Christianity there's no distinction between the heavenly planets as we have it and the kingdom of God. And so there's a great deal of most Christians think of heaven as a place of kind, some kind of endless, pious sense gratification. Uh, and uh, although if you talk to more, I should say, spiritually advanced Christians, they think it's you know, the vision of God. Basically, it comes to vision. They don't really know what you do, but anyway, something more than just sense gratification. Um, so that's the... Uh, and then the, 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 that's the karma kanda, uh, the jnana kanda. That's another strand that you also see. Also in many... Uh, in Buddhism, the, the jnana is the highest. Uh, it sort of predominates over the others. Uh, but uh, in any religious tradition where people speculate and try to figure out God and try to advance themselves by austerity and, and thinking, uh, you, it ten, tends to be a very impersonal idea of God. Uh, a Neoplatonic-influenced Christianity is like that. Mystics everywhere tend to be like that. They describe God as the abyss into which they vanish, and so on. Uh, that's there. And then there's bhakti. There's a de- devotion strand. Uh, and they're inter- related in a very interesting way. If you, if you start off with uh, karma, and then you get disgusted with that, uh, you tend to go just the opposite. You reject everything reject the world, uh, reject everything, and that's the, the, the jnana, the world disappears. R- literally, in the uh, Advaita Vedanta, it doesn't exist. It's maya. Uh, it's not really there. It's so devalued, it's zero. Uh, and the word that's used a lot here is disgust. Uh, there's disgust. Uh, you reject the whole thing. You see that all material activities are futile but lead you simply to suffering and you want to just get rid of them. And that's the, the Gata strand. Uh, and and you're, because your mind and your thoughts belong to the world, they can't be trusted. So you have to get rid of your mind. You have to get rid of your thoughts. Uh, you, you, have, you have to... Uh, negate everything, and so your mind and your ideas which belong to this world, they're rejected so that the absolute to which you want to join can only be known by negation. And you find this all over the place. It's so common that it's been called the perennial philosophy because people run into it all over the place. Uh, And that's supposed to uh, be the idea that it's true because you see it everywhere, but you see sense gratification everywhere, too. You know. <laughs> so, uh, and then there's, there's, there's bhakti. And interestingly, in bhakti, uh, uh, the world comes back. Variety comes back. Uh, 
but it's not the same variety as you rejected in the karma phase. So really it follows this kind of classic uh, dialectical progression of thesis, antithesis, and synthesis. You know, where they, where, where the, in the synthesis, the, the, the two things that they rejected are both uplifted. Uh, uh, so Krishna, does he have form? Yes, but no material form. He's simultaneously with and without form. If by form you mean material form, uh, yeah, he has no form. But who says all form is material form? That's the Jnana thing. What do you know? So there's spiritual form. What is spiritual form? If all our experience of form is is is, uh, is 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 the material world, what can a spiritual form be? What's it like? How can we know? Uh, our senses can't reach it. But uh, then, uh, so that's why they say, well, there's no form. But that's also the opposite of you're still tied to duality in this case because you're just doing the opposites. So there's form but no material form. So this is the karma jnana bhakti. And here, here Krishna distinctly says it, uh, distinctly says it and uh, uh, in, in this volume and uh, in this chapter. And then... Then uh, what you ha- what what the six Goswamis that they're d- expressly expressly described as doing is going through all the Vedas and separating out pure devotional service uh, because there there there's karma jnana and bhakti but there's also mixtures so Vishnu Chakravarti Thakur often talks about karma mishra bhakti. Bhakti mixed with karma, jnana, mishra, bhakti. So these things get mixed up together. They, 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 on, on these strands, these three strands, sometimes they're tied together and they dissect it out and said, here's pure bhakti. And I don't think, at least to my knowledge, no one has ever done this in, in religious history that at least I'm familiar with, done it so decisively and clearly. And uh, and I would hope that if the Krishna consciousness movement becomes as influential as it should be, people who are following other traditions don't necessarily have to join this one. But if they go to their own tradition and in the same way dissect out pure bhakti from karma and jnana, they will also make uh, advancement. Uh, right now, those things are there, but they're very mixed up together and uh, unclear. And maybe there's uh, some theologian in these traditions that has done this, but I, I'm just not, I'm not aware of it. Uh, but I suspect it will happen, uh, and, and they, they will be inspired by Krishna consciousness, although they may not give us the credit. <laughs> uh, but uh, so so this is where anyway this is where this karma jnana and bhakti is. He says I have given these three paths in, in the Vedas. Now uh, I want to read what Vishwanath Chakravarti says because he makes an important point. He says uh, there will be injunctions and prohibitions based on seeing good and bad according to different qualifications and different situations. 
So in other words, the injunction, there are injunction and prohibitions uh, for the karma kanda, for the jnana kanda, and also for bhakti. They're not the same across the board for everybody. Because of different qualifications and different situations. The Lord speaks to reveal this. The methods, the yoga of jnana, karma, and bhakti are explained by me, here is using Krishna's voice, to the Brahma Kanda, Karma Kanda, and Devata Kandas. Kanda means section, here, a portion of the Vedas. So the, there's the Karma Kanda, uh, which talk about uh, karma. Remember that karma means pious activities, activities done according to Vedic injunctions. If you perform activities not according to Vedas and Vedic injunctions, it's vikarma. The Brahmakanda, that is the, the impersonal section of the Vedas, focuses on Brahman uh, by itself. And Devatakanda, this is the dealing of divinity. Devata means divinity, and therefore bhakti. With a desire to give humans moksha, artha, dharma, kama, and prema. <laughs> he adds in the He leaves out, uh, he adds, adds to the four, he adds prema, five. <laughs> uh, moksha, artha, dharma, kama, and prema, all by my mercy, I have explained these methods. There are no other means of elevation except these three. Austerity and yoga are actually included in jnana and bhakti to some degree and so are not considered separately. So that's his explanation for that because you may say, oh, what about the yoga schools? But yoga is used differently. Some, some people practice yogi for fruit of results. Some people practice yogi or yoga to merge into Brahman. Some people practice yoga to, to achieve bhakti. Uh, love for Krishna is so different. So they are included to some degree that yoga and vairagya, austerity. Uh, then he says, karma is for the karmis and jnana for the jnanis. They are not qualified for pure bhakti. Uh, he says. Uh, that's for them. Now, uh, on the... Uh, the DBT, uh, uh also has a long uh, Prince Baker looks um, uh, purport, which is worth looking at, very long purport. Uh, ultimately, the goal of philosophical speculation, pious regulated work, see that's how they translate, make pious regulated work, that's karma. Not uh, just any old stuff. And devotional service is the same, Krishna consciousness. Yes, it, they're all to lead to Krishna consciousness, but there is a progression. They don't independently go there. Bhakti goes to Krishna consciousness, karma, no. Uh, that's misunderstood. Uh, as stated by the Lord in Bhagavad Gita 4.11, Yeyatamam prapadyante tamstataiva bhajamyaham mama vartmana vart. Uh, all of them as they surrendered to unto me 
I reward them accordingly. Everyone follows my path in all respects, the Son of Pita. This is often misinterpreted that all, all, every path is okay. Whatever you do, you'll go, go to the same place. But Prabhupada points out, if you are in the airport and you have a ticket to, uh, to San Francisco, uh, you will not end up in London. <laughs> it depends on your destination, depends, unless there's a bad mistake. <laughs> there you go. Although all authorized processes of human perfection ultimately lead to Krishna consciousness or love of God, various performers have specific propensities and qualifications and thus gravitate to different methods of self-realization. Krishna wants everybody to be able to get aboard somewhere. Lord Krishna here describes the three authorized processes together in order to emphasize that their ultimate goal is one. At the same time, philosophical speculation and regulated pious work can never be considered equal to pure love of Godhead, as the Lord has elaborately clarified in previous chapters. The word triaha, or three, indicate that despite their ultimate oneness of purpose, the three paths display diversity in progress and achievement. One cannot achieve the same result by mere speculation or piety that one achieves by directly surrendering to the personality of Godhead, depending completely on his mercy and friendship. Okay, then. Anyway, so you you can read the the rest of this. uh, Elaborates a little more. Uh, on the on these uh, on these things, uh, um, and he mentions here uh, uh, after describing the, the difficulties with, with karma and jnana, uh, he says the devotees directly aim for love of God and are therefore most pleasing to the supreme Lord. I'm reading at the end of the purport. In any case, all three divisions of, of Vedic, uh, all three divisions. Uh, of Vedic elevation depend completely on the mercy of Lord Krishna. That's a fact. It's really the Lord's mercy. Even in the Karmakanda thing, there's a tinge of bhakti prescribed. One cannot progress along any one of these paths without the blessings of the Lord. Other Vedic processes, such as austerity, Charity and so forth are included within the three primary divisions described here. They're taking that. That's what Vishnu Chakravarti Thakur says. So now we'll go next to the next uh, uh, text seven. Nirvinanam jnana yoga nyasinam itta karmasu teshu anirvinna. Chittanam karma yogas to karminam. I'll just read here. It's easy to read. Uh, uh, now, this word, uh, nirvinna, uh, will occur a number of times in this chapter. Nirvinna uh-huh. uh, 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 means disgust. Those who are disgusted. Uh, 
And uh, worldly disgust is a qualification, uh, initial qualification for jnana. Uh, as it says here, nivinnanam jnana yoga. For those who are disgusted, here nivinna means those who are disgusted. Uh, let me just read the translation. Among these three paths, jnana yoga, the path of philosophical speculation, is recommended for those who are disgusted with material life and thus detached from ordinary fruitive activities, those who are not disgusted with material life, having many desires yet to fulfill, should seek perfection through the path of karma yoga. So nivyanandam jnana yoga, uh, among these, yeah, so jnana yoga for those who are disgusted, nyasinam, uh, nyasinam for those who are renounced. Uh, here, uh, uh, um, in all, uh, they're they both disgusted and renounced uh, with with, uh, with karma. Uh, and the, the iha here means here. The word iha here. Uh, among those three paths, teishu anirvena chitanam, and of those who uh, whose consciousness does not have disgust, anirvena, uh, nirvena is disgust, so anirvena without disgust, karma yogas to for those who have material desires. Uh, So this word, nirvinna, notice that the N has little dots in it, nirvinna. The general dictionary definition is despondent, depressed, sorrowful, afraid, loathing, and so on. You return away for something. Uh, so this loathing or disgust for material life is a qualification for jnana yoga. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, uh, of course, a lot of times it's a qualification for committing suicide in the material world. And in fact, uh, Prabhupada describes uh, impersonalism as, a, as spiritual suicide. That is, by spiritual means, uh, ending your own existing. You see... If you believe in transmigration, suicide doesn't solve the problem. <laughs> it makes it worse. You come back as a ghost. Uh, so <laughs> so uh, to really do the job, <laughs> you have to become a gang. <laughs> you have to destroy the subtle body. Vishnava Chakravarti Thakur says, who is qualified for what? So he's laid three paths now. Who is qualified for which path? Two verses answer. So this is the first verse of answering. Uh, Jnana, for those who are unattached to house and family and therefore renounce material actions of householder life. Uh, You have to remember also in the Vedic context, there was no extended period of 
bachelor life. You're either a student or you're married. Right? When they say householder life, they mean material life. For many modern people, the austerity is householder life. <laughs> so we've got a step further. <laughs> so when they say householder life, you know, that, that's... Uh, Prihasukam, the sense gratification, is householder happiness. Anyway, uh, so jnana uh, uh, is for those who are unattached to house and family. Also, uh, family was something you were in, in the early days, not just us in India, the whole human civilization, you know, sort of before modern times, uh, was everybody was embedded in a family. And the unit of false ego was as much the family as it was the individual. You still see that in traditional society. You just still see that in India, for example. Uh, but the idea where the individual sacrifices themselves for the family was a, a common idea. Yeah, the family is first. Uh, and so now the family has is dissolved. Uh, they, they called it the nuclear family, you know, just the husband, wife, and children, no more, you know, aunts, uncles all over the place, and uh, all living together, being very closely related. And of course, now the nuclear family has been uh, exploded. <laughs> so it's a sub-nuclear family. Um, but... Uh, uh, so there's this, uh, this happiness of how, you know, uh, uh, family happiness is, is uh, the emblem of material enjoyment. No, then it goes on, those who, who uh, and then karma, dhyana is for those who renounce material activities. Karma is for those not detached from material action, action and are extremely attached to enjoying their body, house, and life, and so on. So here's the qualification uh, for each, each one of them. Uh, yeah, and the BBK report just to uh, elaborates a little bit more on that. And then, uh, so, but this verse especially, I want to point out this word nirvina. It'll come up a number of times, including, it's also uh, 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 present to some degree in bhakti, not as much, but it's also there. Uh, and now text 8 begins with another really important word that you should remember, yadrichchaya. Yadritschaya mat katadao chata sradas tuya puman na nirvino nati sako sato bhakti yogasya siddhida. Notice nirvina is again in this verse. If somehow or other by good fortune, that's all a translation of Yadritschaya. Uh, if somehow or other by good fortune one develops faith 
in hearing and chanting my glories. Matkata Adal Jatasrada. Jatasaras, that those words will also occur in a, later on. That uh, the Jata Shraddha, faith has been awakened. Jata Shraddha, faith in Matkata Adal, in, in um, uh, the narration of my glories, my Krishna Kata, faith has been awoken, and Krishna Kata, uh, Adal, and so on. Uh, songs, philosophy, dramatic performances, basically is hearing and chanting about Krishna and all the different ways you do it. Tuya uh, Puman, that has been awakened indeed in, in, in a person. Uh, uh, who is not nirvana, not disgusted <laughs> totally, and not uh, and not very attached, but not very attached. This is the qualification of a not totally disgusted with the world, but not totally uh, attached either, like a karni. Bhakti yoga asya siddhida. Uh, the path of uh, he, he should achieve perfection uh, through bhakti yoga. It will give him perfection. Somehow or other by good fortune, yadvitschaya, it means accidental, spontaneous. It happens without a cause, by accident, unexpectedly. All of a sudden, sometimes it's translated as all things. Something just happens for no reason. This is yadritschaya, huh? by chance, accidentally. Uh, 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 uh. So, uh, now, uh, I want to read, I have a file here. Let me see if I have it. I have a... Oh yeah, yet um, rich chaya. Uh, this verse is quoted uh, uh, in the Madhurya Kandamani by Vishnachatavari Thakur. Uh, he it's under it's in Madhurya Kandamani at the beginning. How the Lord bestows His mercy and pure bhakti, and he begins in the Srimad Bhagavatam 11:28. It is stated. Bhakti has been described by the word yadritschaya or own volition. <laughs> by its own volition. In other words, nobody else did it of its own accord. Happens of its own accord. Again, in Sridhar Swami's commentary on this verse, he writes that bhakti is free to act at will. So they actually attribute agency to bhakti itself. The dictionary meaning of the word yadvichaya is spontaneous and independent. Some persons interpret the meaning of yadvichaya as a sort of luck or fortune. Uh, but when explained in this way, there are bound to be apparent fallacies. For example, 
is this fortune because of pious activities or misfortune because of impious activities or simply a lack of good actions. Uh, If we accept that good fortune as a result of pious activities creates bhakti, then it makes bhakti dependent on uh, uh, I'm sorry. Uh, then it makes bhakti dependent on and subservient to pious activities. In other words, this explanation infringes upon the principle of bhakti's free will. If we agree to the other suggestions, other suggestion that lack of good fortune gives birth to bhakti, then we, can, then we admit that such fortunes are capricious and predictable and therefore imperfect. How can the imperfect produce anything perfect? And if one says that the Supreme Lord's mercy is the ultimate cause of bhakti, then what has again undergone tedious research to pinpoint the cause of his mercy? It is certain that after much probing and speculation, a single irrefutable cause will not be established. And following this line of thought, confusion reigns. So even the Lord's mercy is, uh, cannot be cited as a cause because why did he give his mercy to some and not to others, right? On the other hand, if we agree that bhakti impregnates the devotee's heart as a result of Krishna's causeless mercy, that has no cause, then understanding this becomes easier. Yet, one may raise the question as to why the Lord's mercy is often seen to be unequally dispensed. Is the Supreme Lord guilty of partiality? If the Lord's grace is cardless, then he must shower it everywhere without consideration but it is seen that his mercy is not freely given to all. Should we blame Krishna for being biased or even unfair? The, the open discrimination the Lord practices against the demons by killing them and the favor he shows toward his devotees does not tarnish the Lord's reputation but rather becomes an embellishment in his character. Krishna's quality of Bhakta Vatsala, his protective affection toward devotees, surpasses his other transcendental excellencies. It is frequently pointed out that the pure devotee's mercy is also the cause of devotion, just as the Lord's mercy is known to be causeless, so his devotees who possess the same qualities uh, as the Lord also shower their causeless mercy. Hence, when we declare that the devotee's causeless mercy is the reason which inspires bhakti, but then bhakti is not being equally distributed, naturally this will be criticized as partiality. Thus it is wrong to say that the causeless mercy 
of both the Lord and pure devotee is prejudice. Uh, because we read in the Bhagavatam, the Madhyam Adhikari offers his love to the Supreme Personality of Godhead, is a sincere friend to all the devotees of the Lord, shows mercy to ignorant people who are innocent and disregard those who are envious of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. These characteristics clearly indicate that the Madhyama Adhikari devotee does not distribute his mercy equally to everyone. The truth is that the Supreme Lord is subservient to his devotee's wishes. Therefore, he emulates his devotee in dispersing mercy. Based on this fact, it is easy to see that if the Madhyam devotee is merciful to someone, the Lord automatically showers his mercy on that recipient. This conclusion is sound in all respects. The single cause that attracts the mercy of the Lord is the bhakti that permanently resides in the pure devotee's heart. It's not the pure devotee exactly, it's the bhakti <laughs> resides in the pure devotee's heart. In other words, Krishna's mercy will not be invoked without that bhakti within the heart of his devotee, which attracts his mercy to appear in the first place. Therefore, because bhakti is completely independent even from previous piety and good fortune, it is undisputably confirmed that bhakti is self-manifest. As mentioned earlier, devotion is the only cause of devotion Bhakti Devi does not require any cause or reason to appear other than her own sweet will. Uh, it goes on, maybe we should. The word ati bhagya, extreme good fortune, in the verse ya kenapyat wherein it describes one who engages in devotional service with firm faith due to some extreme good fortune takes on a newer, a new and deeper meaning. It no longer means good, extreme good fortune as a result of previous pious activities, but extreme good fortune received owing to the pure devotee's compassion. Uh, there's a verse in the Bhagavad Gita that says people who have, whose past activities have been pious uh, 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 are able to practice devotional service and uh, uh, Prabhupada was asked uh, to do, uh, what, what was our past pious activities our past uh, good fortune and Prabhupada said I'm your past pious activities. Here one may present a counter-argument saying that devotees are always under the Lord's control. Therefore, how can the devotee's mercy appear first independently and not as a successor to the Lord's causes compassion? Krishna himself provides a solution to this problem by openly declaring that he is voluntarily subservient to his pure devotee. The Lord empowers his devotees to distribute mercy as they like. 
and in this way he broadcasts their super excellent uh, position. Uh, so that's the little uh, uh, essay on Yadvichaya uh, that uh, is in the Manchuria Kundamini. There's more to be said about that word, but we're running out of time now. Uh, thought I get a little farther, but uh, uh, let me see. Vishnu Thakurvari says in this purport here. And add to that. Mostly talks about the this disgust and says he says uh, compared to the uh, by using the singular number in this verse it indicates that such a person who has developed that faith is very rare compared to the gyanis and the karmis. This person is not overly attached to body, house, and family. He is also not disgusted with the world, for that is the qualification for Gyan. Being overly attached to the body and house qualifies a person for karma yoga. If he does not have such an attachment, he becomes qualified for bhakti. Uh, uh, the qualification for the three processes should be considered the cause of disgust with or detachment from the world is purification of the antakarana, the subtle body, uh, caused by nishkama karma, that is performing uh, pious activities with no with attachment to the results, nishkama karma yoga. The cause of excessive, excessive attachment is beginningless ignorance. <laughs> In other words, Maya. <laughs> the cause of being devoid of excessive attachment is unexpected association with great devotees. Yeah, this Chaya is also unexpected. These causes should be considered. However, there are some special persons who become qualified, even if a person is involved with sense enjoyment by unexpected association with devotees, so you could say accidental association, he becomes qualified. Uh, so this is what he mentions there. Uh, okay, we better stop there. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, let me, uh, no, I don't have to do anything now. I have to put it on speaker. Right? I'm gonna put this on speaker phone here and uh, if anyone has a question
If anyone on the phone has a question, you can push star six, and then you'll be added to the Q and A queue. And um, the, the operator on the phone will tell you when to ask your question. If anybody on new stream has a question, please type it into the chat window. All right. I'm assuming Sophie Kriya wants to ask this question. Where do asana and dhyana fit into the means of perfection? Asana and dhyana? Uh, still, those are those are part of yoga. Uh, and and uh, and uh, so we, uh, that that can be used uh, uh, as part of bhakti. The, uh, they're described in the Bhagavatam Yoga Mishra Bhaktis, or Prabhupada calls them mystic bhakti yogis. Uh, in the second canto, they're described. They're they're devotees, but they meditate on upon Krishna and perform bhakti uh, using yoga uh, processes. So they're, they're like, they're like uh, vairagya and, and those kind of things that are, that are just, just part, part of either the jnana, you can use them as jnana, or you, you can even use them as... Uh, Even karma, actually, if you think about it, I mean, it's not mentioned here, but, you know, Hiranyakashipu, for example, uh, didn't seem to be a jnani and didn't seem to be a book, <laughs> but he was doing yoga to get to powers. So I, I, I would expect that at least at one, one particular time, yoga was, was used uh, uh, to, to gain powers. Uh, so you could become like a sorcerer, you know, bad guy, uh, and cast spells and use them against your enemies and so on like that. Yes, can asana actually be used as part of bhakti? Yes, how does that work? Does Prabhupada call it something the yogi? It's not the part of bhakti that we practice. Uh, but uh, but uh, uh, I'm it was at one time during Prabhupada's time. Uh, Prabhupada never taught us any yoga asanas or any of those things. But at one time during when Prabhupada was here, the proposal was written written to him to uh, to uh, at the at the Vrindavan temple to teach yoga so we can attract some of the, the hippie or spiritual tourists that were coming to Vrindavan. And, uh, and uh, Prabhupada said it was all right. And he said, we need people to teach it. And he said, that if you find some people who want to teach it, I can teach them how to do their asanas. So Prabhupada knew them. I think at, at least at a certain age, a lot of people who just grew up in India, they learned some yoga asanas and practiced them. There's nothing else just for their health and, and stability. It helps you get in the mode of goodness. So... Uh, the same thing, surprise, if it's helpful for Krishna consciousness, you can do it. Uh, and if it's, if it's a distraction, you don't do it. 
uh, it may be mercy that somebody gives it. This I'm still thinking about. Is it require an additional mercy that you take it? Because I know Prabhupada gave bhakti to all kinds of people who sort of uh, decided to put it in their, their uh, bag and save it for a rainy day or <laughs> whatever. You know, that, that not everyone who I assume had equal opportunity to take it did take it. What, because, because this is also free will, which, by the way, is also, if it's free, that means it's also causeless. It means you just can't, you just can't, as soon as you provide a cause, it's not free. So free will means a means of activity that can only be attributed to a, to a decision of a living entity. Now, your freedom can be greater or less, but the freedom is free. Uh, uh, a, a, a person in jail has free will, but he can only decide not to stand on the north side of his cell or the south side of his cell. Where, where I can decide to live on the east coast or the west coast or whatever. You know, I, have, I have a little more scope, but, but there's freedom like that. But, but so the, the freedom can be greater or lesser in the scope, but freedom is freedom. Nobody else determines what it will be. Uh, and, uh, and so there's that, that, that's the other element of, of the receptivity of the thing. And your past pious or sinful activities can, can uh, you know, they, they, they exercise a, a limiting, make it more, more or less difficult or easy, I suspect. Anyway, it's hard to figure out uh, exactly how it works or why some people take it or why some people don't take it. And sometimes it's just, They don't want it. That's all. Which is no. And some people it's just yes. That started a while ago. What's wrong with this? this is, okay. <laughs> That was just a machine. That wasn't a pre-decision or something. There's a lot of context. Let's go to the next question. The next Krishna 108 says, Dear Prabhu, as you mentioned, suicide of gross body is possible. We can get rid of the subtle body only when we go back to Godhead's question. For a person, Subtle body remains the same in all planetary systems. Another question. Uh, the subtle body, uh, 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 well, first of all, to get rid of the subtle body uh, is a process of liberation. Liberation means liberated from the subtle body. In the third canto of Bhagavatam Kapila Dev says devotional service dissolves the subtle body of the living entity. At the time of death, you're automatically liberated from the gross body, but because you have a subtle body, uh, you get another gross body. But the subtle body is very plastic. It changes. 
And even though I have a human gross body, if I've been living with the mentality of a dog, that's why I'll get the dog's body the next. It'll be a more appropriate and a better fit with the subtle body I have than the human body I have now. Uh, uh, so similarly, there's a subtle body in the heavenly planets that'll be the subtle body appropriate to the gross body of a, of a deva, deva. Their subtle bodies are different. It's the same subtle body, but it seems to be plastic. Uh, you go and you bring the subtle body with you, but then it changes. Uh, uh, but to be liberated, either in the Brahma Jyoti or in the in the in the uh, in Vaikuntha, uh, that's you don't have a subtle body anymore. See, there's two mortal coils you have to shuffle off. The first is the gross body, and the second is the subtle body. And the subtle body is harder to get rid of. <laughs> it sticks, sticky. Okay, uh, we all have a question on the phone. Hi, Krishna. Hi, Krishna. We hear you. Okay. This is Gail. Yeah. Uh, I just want to um, get a little clearer on the fact that uh, Krishna's mercy of, of someone getting devotional service is independent. The, the concept that bhakti is independent, and even though it appears that it kind of depends on the mercy of his pure devotee. I remember you were That's saying... That's right. Yeah, I remember you yeah. were saying that, you know, it's like dependent on the love of his pure devotee, but... I'm still trying to get clear on how this bhakti is independent and causeless, even though it seems to depend on his pure devotee's love. Yeah, well, where is bhakti given from? Who gives bhakti? Ultimately, it's Krishna has 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 uh, delegated that. Uh, to his devotees. So that's, the devotees are what give bhakti. Uh, Prabhupada writes at one point, he says, the devotees of the Lord are more merciful than the Lord. Uh, and, uh, and so it, it comes from the devotees. And among the good qualities of the devotees is wishing somebody well, just being a well-wisher for all living beings uh, that's especially there. And it's from that that they, that they uh, it, just, it just overflows out of their heart uh, to, to, to wish people well. Uh, it's like a blessing. Now, when you when you uh, check out uh, uh, from the supermarket, and uh, and the lady uh, at the cash register says, "Have a nice day." Do you have a nice day? <laughs> her, her 
blessing has no potency. It doesn't make you have a nice day. She wishes you a nice day. But some people, you know, they have blessings that actually if they say have a nice day, you do. And if they say go to hell, you do. <laughs> Fortunately, most of those, you know, are impotent. <laughs> Thankfully. Uh, but in this, this case, when a devotee wishes somebody well, uh, they, they, uh, it, 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 it carries potency because Krishna wants to serve the devotees. This is his, he's Bhakta Vasha. He's controlled by the love of his devotees. Again, he's not controlled exactly by the devotee but he's controlled by the love his devotees have for him. So this is the idea that bhakti has a kind of agency of its own that controls the devotee and also controls Krishna. Uh. And, and, and uh, that, that's, that's, that's how, that, that's how it, it happens. And so, but then, that's why when Krishna comes as Lord Chaitanya and takes on the role of a devotee, he's kind of cheating the system. He's gaming the system. <laughs> so therefore, he's most merciful. He does, he does it himself. So Lord Chaitanya, you've got two things. You have Krishna himself, but no, he's acting as devotee, so he's very merciful. But he's the all-powerful Lord, so what a devotee, huh? You have to say Lord Chaitanya is a pure devotee. Yeah, but, you know, whatever a devotee has, Lord Chaitanya exhibits it to the highest possible degree. So that's why we are especially fortunate. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, yeah, I think that's better for me now. And, um, okay. Speak a little louder. Yeah, I... Um, yeah, also, can I just ask one other thing? Yeah, sure. Yeah, you know, at the end you were you were talking about um, the causelessness. You were connecting free will to causelessness, even though you may have lesser or greater degrees of freedom. Uh, yeah, let me see. You might, your, your free will might be limited. So what does it mean to say that... Wait a second, your voice has gotten very soft and there's a motorcycle on the street outside. Okay, the, yeah, I heard it. Uh-huh. Okay, go ahead. Yes, our our freedom might be limited, but but you were saying that despite its limits, um, it's causeless. So I'm just not sure what that means to say that our well, freedom is causeless. I mean, I I do not have the freedom by flapping my arms to raise off 
and fly out the window. Yeah. I, don't, I can't do that. It's beyond my capacity. Yeah. But I do have the freedom to get up and walk out the door. Right. Uh, I, so, so the scope of my, my powers of action are limited by, by my, the body I have and the conditions under which I exist. Yes. But, but it, 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 all, everyone has, I assume, has some degree of free will. Mm-hmm. For for animals, it's much less than for human beings. Uh, uh, the, 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 the scope of their their freedom is greater or lesser. Uh, uh, but it, the, in any case, freedom to say something is free is also to say that it has no cause. You cannot attribute... To me, I mean, the, uh, I can't explain the free will philosophically except to say it resides in the jiva. The jiva has this ability to do something that has no antecedent cause. It's, if it's a free choice... You make that choice, and even if you know free will means if you have complete omniscience of the past, if there's a free act, you cannot know what the result will be. It can be either A or B, and you cannot tell, even though you're omniscient. It's not predictable. You, you cannot not predict. predictable. In principle, not predictable. It's not just that you don't have enough information. you got yeah. all the information, mm-hmm. and you can't say you got 100% information, and you still can't say. That's freedom, an act of free will. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right? Yes, thank you very much, Maharaj. Yeah, to me, the only way to say is you attribute it to a jiva. Otherwise, the whole world system looks totally deterministic. Mm-hmm. Because the only way of talking about freedom or chance, for example, which is called like like in, in physics, they have what they, they they think is absolute chance, which sounds to me like free will on the level of atoms. <laughs> but it only makes sense. You can only think of chance. The only way chance, absolute chance, is intelligible is by free will. But otherwise, things just happen for no reason at all, which is what they have in physics. And so therefore, it means on some level, if, it's, if they're actually correct about that, I don't know if they are, but they are, it means somebody, either there's some little jiva down there that has free will, or the free will of a deva, or the free will of Krishna, as it were, uh, 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 there. Yeah, then it becomes a little confusing um, when you try to, okay, I'm glad you said um, no reason at all. You know, there's a difference between saying that we have our, our free will and it's causeless and saying that, you know, the decisions that we make have no reason at all, right? Well, we give reasons for them. Yeah, it doesn't mean they say they say it didn't happen for any reason. No, that's not true. We make a decision. Sure, we can account for it. 
Mm-hmm. Just so, so similarly, our our love, you know, for Krishna, if it's if it's actually love, if it's real love, it's it's causeless because it's it's by our free will. But that doesn't mean somehow it doesn't mean that we don't have any. We love him for no reason. No, we actually, actually our love for Krishna is our nature. The bhakti that we have for Krishna is actually already there. When we are given bhakti, it only uncovers it. Because, because, because bhakti, uh, service to Krishna, is our dharma. It's our dharma. Uh, it's in, innate in every living entity. Uh, so is it causeless or not, our love? It's there because because we are part and parcel of Krishna. I think when we but, say that but, but, our love is causeless, we, we, still, we still, in order to be able to freely exercise it, we also have the because because love has this idea that it can't be compelled; it has to be voluntarily given. Uh, we have the option of also turning away from Krishna, which we do. And Krishna gives us the power to forget him or to turn away. Maybe I'm wrong when I say I'm... Yeah, I think... Yeah, natural, love for Krishna is naturally our state. And, and, it's, and when we turn away from Krishna, it, that love becomes uh, expressed in a different way. Uh, it's still there, but it's expressed as lust. Well, the desire to enjoy independently of Krishna or to become Krishna. That's that's the that's the uh, uh, that's that's the the uh, uh, distorted uh, expression of it. Mm-hmm. But we express it, we must. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I'm thinking that, you know, another interpretation maybe for our causeless love is that it's not that there's no cause, but, you know, because like you just said, the, the cause is that we are part of Krishna. But it's, yeah. but it's, but it's, it's causeless in the sense that there's no selfish cause. It's not that there's no yeah, cause, well, just, there's just, no just, selfish just, cause. Just, yeah, but it, it just means that when you refer something to uh, the agency of a jiva, that itself, you can, you can say, why did you do that? I can give my reasons. But if there's an element of freedom, I could have done otherwise. And I wasn't compelled by my reasons. Mm-hmm. I chose one or the other. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If I have a free choice, I can give reasons for doing either one. Mm-hmm. Uh, so th- in that sense, there are reasons for it. But I wasn't compelled mm-hmm. by it. Mm-hmm. Oh. Uh, maybe we better see if there's any other people with questions. or. Oh, yeah, no, well, I'm good anyway. Thank you very much. Okay. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. Oh, <clears throat>
The next Krishna went away off of that. I infer from the class that the qualification of a bhakta is he should not be too attached and not be too detached from the material world. Is that right? Yeah, that, that's, that's, that, that's how it ends up. I mean, a, a devotee doesn't reject the world as being awful and horrible and, and evil. He doesn't demote it to illusion, uh, but accepts the world, but accepts it as the Lord's energy and therefore appreciates the world uh, in, a, in a different way. Uh, we, uh, a, a devotee sees the world but doesn't try to enjoy it. He tries to engage it in Krishna's service. So that is neither enjoying nor rejecting. It's not exactly neutral, like you just stand by and don't have any feelings when you're engaged, but you're engaged with it in Krishna's service. Okay, uh, so Supriya asks, does the pure devotee want to give pure devotion for the sake of the fallen jiva or because he knows it will please Krishna to have his fallen devotee return to him? I think both. Well, I, th- I think the first thing is that he wants to please Krishna, but he knows what will please Krishna if they all come back. And, and, uh, and, uh, and, and, uh, uh, for, for that reason, uh, if, if Krishna wants the, the, the fallen jiva back, uh, Krishna must see something in that jiva that, uh, that attracts him, that attracts Krishna. So, they amount to the same thing, I think. We also ask, if bhakti is our nature, then why is it seen that we receive the bhakti love of Egypt? Is that merely a metaphorical way of putting it? Does the guru give us something we don't have, or is he as with it uncovered? And if it's uncovered, why aren't we supplied with the metaphor that describes it that way? Um... Yeah, I, I think maybe there may be Prabhupada's understanding is that the bhakti is there and the bhakti lata bija uh, is the process by which we can develop that bhakti and can, I, I'm using the metaphor of uncovering it or developing it or waking it up or reviving it. It's, it's in a latent period. It's not, it's not so active. And the, the bija is the process. I think there are other Vaishnavas that uh, don't think of it as, as, as innate in the jiva and is just given. Uh, by the spiritual master. Otherwise it's not there at all. But uh, Prabhupada's description has always been, and, and uh, previous acharyas, as far as I can understand, is that it's there. And so to be asked because there's controversy in some circles about it. Exactly, there's controversy in some circles. So that's right.
So we got as far as text nine, right? Eight. We have we finished eight, right? So we'll pick up with text number nine next Sunday. Okay. Thank you very much. Shri Prabhupada, Ki Jai, Shri Mad Bhagavatam, Ki Jai.